Continuing tonight, Revelation chapter 6. How long, O Lord, we open the apocalyptic narrative with a heavenly scene where John is caught up to heaven. He sees God sitting upon His throne high and lifted up, a scroll in His right hand sealed with seven seals that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth can open. And John weeps loudly. Weeps loudly for the Word of God that is contained therein until he is told by one of the elders, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He can open it because he has triumphed. He is the living one who died and was rose again and is alive forevermore. He is purchased by his own blood a people for his namesake of every tribe, language, people, and nation. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. He was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come! And I looked and behold, a black horse rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Well, the reality is when it comes to the particular events of the end, we should expect that prophecy to line up exactly with what Jesus had already told us would happen. What we see here in Revelation chapter 6 is not the beginning of the tribulation. It's not the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. It is what Christ called the birth pains that have been with us ever since His resurrection. Matthew chapter 24. The apostles considered the things of the temple and all that Christ has said about what is to come come to Him with a very particular set of questions. In chapter three of, or verse 3 of chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew, it says, As He said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. Because i got to tell you, when it comes to the realities of Christ's coming 
when it comes to the realities of, of the end of the age, Satan has much intent to lead astray as much as possible the people of God. He doesn't want you to understand what's coming. Be sure that no one leads you astray. For many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. There will be inflation and the scarcity of goods, so much so that a denarius, a day's wage, is only enough to buy enough barley. Forget about the wheat. Three, pints of, three quarts of barley, just enough to feed you, your wife, and one child. Times are hard. And all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And the church will ride forth spreading the gospel of the kingdom from one end of the world to the other. And there will be war, there will be famine, there will be death. And this is but the beginning of the birth pains. And then, then, God's purpose and providence in the suffering of His people. And then, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, we think that hardship means that gas is $4 a gallon. And, and I don't, by any means, uh, want to I don't by any means want to diminish the fact that man getting by can be a struggle no doubt but the sacrifice and the suffering that Christ not only demands but purposes for his people goes so far beyond any kind of sacrifice or suffering that Christians in the United States have ever had to make for the Gospel that I fear that we're often not prepared. Certainly the church that's being described here isn't. At this point in time, it says they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for My name's sake. It's not just that you're going to be hungry. It's not just that the people of God will be hard-pressed. They will be delivered up. They will be put to death all for the sake of His name. And because of that, many that claim to be Christians but are not, those that have attached themselves to the body of Christ because of the perceived benefits of the kingdom, but not for the love of the King, these that Mark often refers to as unregenerate followers of Christ. 
the ones that Jesus talked about that showed up at the wedding banquet without any wedding clothes on. Because weddings are warm and bright and the wine and the food flows. They fall away. They turn like the wolves that they are. And many false prophets telling exactly what their itching ears want to hear will arise and lead many astray and lawlessness and all that goes with it will be increased so that the love of many grow cold, grows cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And what will be they be doing in their endurance? The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom that is embodied in the king. You understand? A real kingdom. Kingdom who's embodied in the King Himself. Not, not a gospel of heaven instead of hell. Not a gospel of get to see your loved ones that have gone on before again. Not a gospel of pearly gates and gold streets and all the cliches. But the gospel of the kingdom that is defined by the King will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations throughout the whole world. And then... The end will come. Doing so will come in the midst of great tribulation and travail. A tribulation that Christ says there's never been one like before or since. And so here you see the heavenly scene. The scroll that has been sealed up until the time of the end is being opened. The gospel is being proclaimed. The birth pains are in full swing. And then, the love of many grows cold. And when he opened the fifth seal, in verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness that they had borne. You know, when you, when you look in the Revelation, you see this heavenly throne room scene. And you see all the players and all of the things that are involved. You have the throne, you have the temple, you have the altar, the crystal sea. You've got the elders and the four living creatures and, and they're crying holy and, 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 and just myriad upon myriad of angel and all of these things right there, right smack there in the middle of the scene. The, 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 the altar that, that stands directly in front of the temple in heaven, the very place where Jesus stepped into and made propitiation by His blood for the souls of His people, right there at the foot of that altar. In the very particularly reserved section are the souls of those for whom lawlessness has claimed for the testimony of the name of Jesus Christ. They have the best seats in the house. And there's a universal nature of martyrdom in the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then again in Matthew 16 and 24, then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. I would have you note 
that the first century imagery of the cross would not have been wholly, would have been wholly understood to relate directly to the most violent of deaths. Not a metaphor of general self-denial that was made so popular by 19th and 20th century preachers. It would have been the modern day equivalent of telling somebody to pull up an electric chair and plug it in. They knew exactly what he was talking about. The reality is that martyrdom for the church began in the very first century. It has always been with us. In Acts chapter 7, we see the martyrdom of Stephen. For as they were stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Guys, I got to tell you, that right there is about as that is about the polar opposite of my flesh's nature. That I mean, that's as far as you can get. Because I, man, I got to tell you, in my flesh, what I'm thinking is not, Lord, forgive him. It's how can I get a hold of one of these rocks they're trying to beat my brains out with? Because I'm coming right back at them hard. Yet here we are. You know, there's. 17 missionaries right now that are in very real danger of their lives sitting somewhere in Hagen. And the thing is, it made the news so we know about it. But the reality is, over much of Southeast Asia and in lots of Africa today, there is very, very real threats to the people of God every single day. And those 17 people are down there right now in danger of their lives. We don't know how it's going to end yet. Friends, they might be in this group that is being spoken of here. They could be. They've got a million dollar bounty on each of their heads. 17 million total. You know the first thought that runs through my head? The Black Hawk extraction team won't cost you... Uh, that won't cost you 17 million. That is not. And this, we talk about the humility of Christ that conforms us to Christ. Man, when it comes to martyrdom for the gospel, we're not talking about taking the sword to protect your family and all that. We're talking about for the sake of the gospel. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. 2 Timothy 4.6, Paul said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. And we look at what the martyrs of the faith have done. I mean, if you want to get if you want to get radical, just pick up Fox's book of martyrs and randomly start reading. It'll get you there real quick. We look at, at what is required, those that endure to the end. And when we look at what Scripture says, what Jesus Himself says in His providence, in His planned purpose for His people to suffer as a testimony, well, He says it like this in Revelation chapter 13. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words in verse 5 and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 
It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written from before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Our guys... Us whose names are written in the book are the ones that have the ear to hear. Here it is. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. And here is a call to make the good confession and die well. Here, here is a call while they are literally stoning your brains out to cry out, Lord, they forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. Here is the call to die for the testimony of Christ the way Christ died for us. Now, friends, that's going to take some real special grace. And i got to tell you, when I consider what will be required, I can see how it would be appropriate to be thankful for increasing hardship in our day-to-day -day lives today. Because I'm here to tell you, you don't want to show up green for this deal. But if we stop there, then we sell the character of God woefully short. And we sell the character of His people that are being conformed to Him woefully short. Back in chapter 6, when he opened the fifth seal, in verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. This word here is for witness is martis. It literally means a legal witness. It didn't used to mean you got yourself killed. So many Christians got themselves killed being the faithful witness that literally the way we view the word changed. And martyr didn't become somebody that just testified. They testified unto death. They've been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Notice that the attitude they have here, standing before sitting before the altar, standing before the throne, seems to be somewhat different than the attitude they had that got them there. On one hand, it's do not hold this against them, forgive them, they know not what they do. Faithfulness even unto death. <clears throat> Here, O Sovereign Lord, I won't get crazy into it tonight, but it's interesting here that the, the common word for Lord that we normally see in the New Testament is not the word that they use. What you usually see in the New Testament is, is kiros. It means master. It's the master of the slave. When we talk about Christ as being Lord, we're talking about Him as being master. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans. When he says, you know, you once were enslaved to sin that led to death, and now you're enslaved to righteousness that leads to, to life. But here he uses a different word. He uses the Greek word despotes, which is where we get our word for despot. 
It's typically a negative term, not a negative term in the text. This word does not simply mean master, but is instead a focus on the absolute sovereignty, holiness, and power that he has over all things. What we see here is people crying out to God. Crying out to God in view of His nature that cannot finally tolerate evil but will always respond in justice. The righteousness of God's people calling on Him for vindication is a theme that runs throughout the text both old and new. The reality is, in order for His people to call on Him for vindication, there must be something that's worth vindicating. In Genesis 4.10, the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Luke 18, verse 7, will not God give justice to His elect? His elect who cry to Him day and night. Will He delay long over them? And here you see the heavenly scene and these people are crying for justice. From the One who is both just and the justifier. From the one that, according to Romans 12, verse 19, Paul said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. That's what you see in action. They didn't avenge themselves. They remained faithful even unto death for the testimony that God ordained that they should make. And here they are, having not avenged themselves, now waiting on a God that promises that vengeance is His to dole out. The Father's response to them <coughs> they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And when it's finished, when it's finished, the one who is just and the justifier will respond in justice against the enemies of his justifier. And it is going to be a sight to behold. Man, you, you, can, you can see in the text the, the, the urgent desire that these people have to see justice done by the King who is just. His timing is not their timing. Man, they're ready for it right now. They want it right now. Lord, why would you wait? Why not do it now? He goes, no got bare plans. Your number is not full. Neither is the number of all of those names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's going to be perfect. And when it is, you just wait a little bit longer. Wait a little bit longer. Guys, if we are going to be able to do the things that Scripture says that the Lord will call His church to do, we have got to have a mindset that says, number one, faithfulness unto death, not avenging ourselves, but certain that God will avenge us. 
and that that avenging will come in its perfect time that He has ordained. You don't want it to come a minute early, lest it be less glorious than it should be. You don't want it to come a moment late. Man, this is, you want to talk about be still and know that He's God? Rest a little longer. Confidence that He knows what He's doing. Faith in the One who is faithful. For when He comes in justice to settle the account on behalf of His bride, make no mistake that He will come with a holy vengeance. Then I saw in verse 9, chapter 19, heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses, and from His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I don't know what His providence and His purpose has for you and me. I know this, that His providence and purpose has for us to be faithful to the end, to endure to the end, to be a testimony to an end, to be the witness to the end. Whether or not that witness be the thing that brings the end or not, that is His will for us, period. But if it does, if we do find ourselves there, which, guys, those folks down in Haiti, man, that was a, you understand, that was like a rotational mission trip, right? Nobody thinks they're going to end up there, but there they are. If we find ourselves there, if we find ourselves being one of those with the best seats in heaven's house, the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we understand. We avenge not ourselves. We trust avenging to the Lord. And He will do it in perfect holiness so that His name is proclaimed unto the salvation of His people on both ends of the equation. On both ends. Not just on one. Pray that when the day comes, that He finds us faithful. How long, my Lord? Just a little while longer. Jamie, why don't you pray for us now?